welcome to Heard Our Materials. I'm Faye. Hi! And I'm Rachel. Hello! This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in this very, very special episode, we are interviewing Lynn manuel Miranda, who plays Lee Scoresby on the His Dark Material TV show. Ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> hi. I mean, hi. We we are deceased. Uh, we are speaking to you from beyond the another grave. world, from beyond the grave. This is it. Sorry. You, well, you'll no longer get a podcast except for this one because we died. We simply passed <laughs> away. We could not bear it any longer. <laughs> Thanks to some excellent tweeting and very hard emailing from Faye, we have had the amazing opportunity to talk to Lin-Manuel Miranda about his role as Lee Scoresby on the His Dark Materials TV show, and it has been such a delight. What a wonderful man. What an amazing fan of the books. I could literally sit and talk to him for hours about the books and about how all of the different fandoms of the books all intersect together and all the different forms in which it's taken like the theatre production and the tv series and the books and all the side novels like fit together because you just know that he's a super fan himself and it is delightful (laughs) i am in shock uh it is one of the most notable things that has happened in my entire life from being a fan of hamilton and lin-manuel miranda since 2015 i honestly cannot believe this has happened to us I'm in shock. And don't worry, everybody. I did fangirl a little bit with, with Lynn and he was gracious about it. So, so that's He was nice. very gracious about it. He answered our questions so amazingly and so thoughtfully. And it is just so exciting to be able to share this with you. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the time when we're speaking to him, it just kind of felt that we were talking to another one, a fan of the books, right? A lot of the time we were like, oh yeah, this happened to the book and this happened to the book. And then I had to check myself and be like, Actually, we're talking to Lin-Manuel Miranda here, who played Lee Scorsby. We're trying to do an interview first. (laughs) Can you just stop talking about the books? I haven't come back down yet. I'm on a bit of a high right now. And I just truly, truly can't believe that it happened. And thank you to Lin-Manuel. Thank you to his team that helped us get this in the diary. Thank you to all of you guys listening, because it wouldn't have happened without you guys. Uh, We wouldn't have been able to do this without knowing that you guys were there to listen to it and also help us when we fangirl maybe a bit too hard (laughs) Uh, but we shall not keep you any longer here is the interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda take it away (laughs) hi Lin-Manuel thank you so much for joining us hello ladies thank you for having me Thank you so much for taking time out this close to Christmas. Everyone is so busy. So This is excellent procrastination for the many things I have to do for Christmas. So I really appreciate it, actually. Thank you. <laughs> we can't believe that you agreed to this because we are just a tiny little podcast and we are very happy that you're here and uh, our listeners will be ecstatic that we're talking to you. <laughs> Well, you, you asked so nicely, first of all, on Twitter.com. And then I listened to your episode with uh, Daphne Keene, and it was really uh, lovely. Uh, you know, I, I missed her this season when I was filming because I don't actually, as you guys know, don't interact with her that much. So uh, it was fun catching up with uh, her impressions. Um, 
uh, on on work, and uh, and then I, I went back and listened uh, to to your podcast because, as you know, I'm I'm here because I'm a huge fan uh, of the books, and I just feel like I get to play in you know fantasy camp when I work on the show. So I'm I'm happy to geek out about it with you guys. One thing that I wanted to say to you, and Rich encouraged me to say this, and you might know it <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast, but your portrayal of Lee is my favorite part of the whole TV series. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think you did such an amazing job. And basically every week when Rachel and I talk about each TV show episode, I make sure to mention you even if you're not in it. So <laughs> it keeps happening. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Well, the first question, we kind of wanted to take it right back to the beginning. And like you said, we know that you're a big fan of the books. And we just wanted to ask about that journey. Like, how did it start? We know it means a lot to you and your wife. So it'd be great if you could tell us about that. Sure. My, my my wife and I read a lot of, well, we read books together. And when we started dating, we we realized we had that in common. We read this series together. Uh, when we started dating, we read the Dark Tower series. I think like the seventh book had just come out in that. We read the Assassin's Apprentice series. Um, we read... Name of the Wind and uh, and and the first two books in that uh, what I think is going to be a trilogy um, and so so you know we we just loved those books that was just one of the things we found we had in common when we started dating and uh, and uh, we we loved this world um, we were so excited when Philip Pullman announced the sequels and we read the novellas and so um, you know I was working on Mary Poppins returns in London uh, and got word that the producers of His Dark Materials wanted to talk to me, but they didn't say about what. They just sort of said, we're doing a His Dark Materials TV show for the BBC. Um, and I was there. Uh, so they took me out to dinner one night across the street from where I was staying. Uh, and um, and they, you know, it was, it was Jack Thorne and Jane Tranter. Um, and uh, they said Lee Scoresby. And I said, really? <laughs> you know, because you know, he's Sam Elliott in my head too, you guys. <laughs> like I, you know, you picture a grizzled um, sort of Texan, Texan, Texan guy. And so uh, what they sort of told me was that um, one, Lee Scoresby is really one of Philip Pullman's favorite characters. And, and so much so that he wrote Once Upon a Time in the North to kind of write a younger Lee Scoresby Sort of mini fantasy western uh, adventure, and they were picturing him younger, and and they really um, they sort of pictured when it comes to the love Lee has for Lyra and what the great lengths he goes to, um, and that they thought of me, and I was very honored by that, and so I. I'm kind of always just trying to live up to what they saw in me in the role. <laughs> so, so you know, I again, I, I have a family, and so there's no decision that happens unilaterally. I had a nice dinner with them. I was a fan of Jack Thorne's writing um, from his Cursed Child uh, adaptation uh, for the stage of the the Harry Potter book, and so I I went back home and. Vanessa was like, "What did they want to talk to you about?" And I said, "Lee Scoresby," and she went cool <laughs> and if my wife says cool like i'm good like i'm in <laughs> you know because uh she's uh she's 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 got good taste and uh better taste than me and so when you know when if if she thinks it's a good idea it's probably a good idea as a fan of the books having like appreciated them from the outside and then 
getting to like live it on the inside has that like changed your perspective at all about the way that you treat the books now or would you still like just dive straight back into them at a moment's notice well you know what's really interesting is that I think I reread them when I got the gig, but then when I was working on the show, I stopped looking at the books because there's a, you know, there's a way in which you you want to kind of always check against the thing, but this is, you know, to to adapt something is to translate it. Um and and I I believe our our adaptation has been very faithful. I, I call it faithful plus. You know, it's like we it's it's faithful to the arc and the storyline, but then there's also these extra moments uh you know uh i like the backstory on the witches i find so fascinating and i think it's been really fleshed out in the show um lee's confrontation with miss coulter uh is not something that happens they don't cross paths in the books but i thought they very ingeniously did that in this season and and then you know lee continues on his way in the storyline that we know well so um i i kind of stopped looking to the books because you know, it was sort. I didn't want to. Um, I I wanted to honor Jack's and and, and our production's uh, version of that. But I do have to tell you, I did do a deep dive on Demon Voices, which was the book of essays that uh, Philip Pullman came out with. I think it was last year. Um, it was between Book of Dust and and Secret Commonwealth, and that was incredibly helpful just to sort of see his mindset in terms of it's sort of a series of essays on how he got to the thing we all love um how the moment he thought of the notion of a demon it was really kind of a storytelling fix it was like oh if she talks to her soul and it's an external thing then we all get to hear her thoughts um in a very organic way and it reminds me of um this is such a dorky story i'm sorry in advance. <laughs> no go for it <laughs> um it reminds me of there was an interview with the guy who created the character of mario um, like Super Mario. And they asked him why he looks the way he does. And he said, well, we were working in 8-bit and mustaches are easier to draw than a mouth <laughs> and a hat is easier to draw than hair and gloves are easier to draw than fingers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that's why he's a plumber. <laughs> but it was, it was the um, sort of this creative uh, hack that ended up totally changing the world. Um, and I think I, I love that that's sort of what came to Philip Pullman as well. Like, oh, if I put their demons on the outside of their bodies, then they can talk to them. And it's this whole other way of interacting with this character. That's like the idea that then, you know, leads to all these other ideas. And then his exploration of Paradise Lost and um, sort of the, the bigger overarching themes. I, I was really fascinated by that stuff. Speaking of demons what was it like to have a demon to have hester the best demon in my opinion i love hester <laughs> she is so great and um and there are uh several actors responsible for that happening um the um the incredible puppeteers uh on set um, who who worked with us, you know, so that we had someone to act with. Um, I, I posted a, a, a brief video on Twitter of my son meeting the 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 rabbit Hester. That's that's the Hester I interacted with. Um, always accompanied by in different seasons, it was different puppeteers. Um, 
but uh, sort of doing the lines. The first season, they actually had a really talented actress named Ruby, a Welsh actress who was in the drama school uh, at Wales. And she did the voice off stage for me and became uh, a good friend. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was really kind of uh, extraordinary. But, you know, most of my scenes are with Hester. So uh, I got very close to... And and really great puppeteers are are magicians. You know, you just start talking to the rabbit. I would find myself, we'd be waiting between takes and the rabbit would nuzzle up and I would <laughs> the rabbit. And like, this is a human <laughs> controlling a puppet, but we're still just in it and staying in character. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm nuzzling a plastic puppet operated <laughs> by a very talented person. But my my prior experience with that was I've, I've worked a lot with Sesame Street. And the first time I got to visit the set, I brought my godson, who at the time was five years old, and the puppeteer who was controlling Elmo was like, hi, Miguel, how are you? And he doesn't see the puppeteer. He sees Elmo. I mean, he very see, clearly sees there is a man on the other side of Elmo. But when when you have that kind of gift and you've developed it, all the child sees is is the character uh, that they're conjuring. And 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 it was they, they did that for us on set as well. It was great. It's interesting because Rich and I have talked about this when we've talked about the books as well as the TV show, but Lee and Hester, in our opinion, have one of the best relationships as human and demon because Lee's on his own for most of his life and you see their dynamic so easily switch from Hester kind of like taking the mick out of Lee to like them being like really emotionally close. And you kind of mentioned there with the with the puppeteers, but like when we get to the emotional scenes with Lee, was that difficult to to act with with a puppet? No, no, because by the time we got there, the trust was so complete that you know that's my scene partner. You know, when we get to, do we dare mention it? I haven't talked about it like the Gulch, <laughs> uh, and that was a week. It was like a really heart rending week. It started with us, like me and Andrew walking in there, and we knew one of us was walking out, and. Um, it was very emotional. Jamie Childs, who directed that and directed a lot of the season, um, was like, oh, I don't want to see you go. <laughs> um, but we also had all this like very complicated action to do first. So it was sort of very a very action-packed week. And I was running around in the mud and did a bunch of sort of gun training to be able to, to do that credibly. And then... Um, at the end, it's really it's it's sort of this this moment with uh, Hester and and we really sort of know it was like raining a little on the day. It was kind of perfect. It was freezing cold, and uh, and that's that's what you've got. And so you know, it was every director and every sort of moment had 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 led up to that really nicely, so that that could be really intimate. And that I think is one of the most heartbreaking and beloved moments of the book. So we really wanted to honor that um and and do right by it because that's that's one where we're not changing the lights <laughs> do you know what i mean like we're 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 doing the canon because um it, it broke all of our hearts in the book and our, our job in that situation is to do it justice yeah and it really is so heartbreaking and rich and i because obviously pandemic we rich and i can't be in the same house we watched it with like one earbud in like one headphone over the other ear like press play at the same time so we could watch the last episodes together oh that's great and when we got to that bit i was just like i'm not ready i'm not ready for it at all <laughs> tears oh 
it's so good. So good, but so awful. And it's one of those things because we were talking as well and we were like, oh, I wonder if they're going to go there in this season because the pacing up to that point, we thought that it didn't leave much much time left to do that justice, but they definitely did do it justice. But we were like, will Lee survive? And we're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys are in the position, you, you know more than me. I have been watching, they, they've sent me the season, but I have been watching live uh, with folks in the States and we're a week behind you guys. Um, and so that's been, that's also been enormously fun is to sort of track the the reactions uh as they happen and you know and my wife and i watch as fans of the series the the greatest compliment my wife has paid me she goes i keep forgetting you're in this <laughs> this is just a show we would ordinarily watch together so we're we're enjoying it i don't know whether it happens in episode six or seven you guys know better than me <laughs> we, we won't spoil it <laughs> thank you um so yeah so um you know it's you do build up a level of trust um and and the the production did a great job of sort of keeping us with the same folks in the room all the time because you know we go we all go through it together <laughs> speaking of everybody reacting in the moment one of the beautiful things about this adaptation like you were saying is how it's like the books plus uh one of the main scenes we've had questions about is the lee scoresby mrs coulter scene because that was a plus that was a huge plus that nobody that had read the books was expecting and as a fan of the books and getting to act against ruth wilson how was that for you like just talk us through that day <laughs> yeah sure well listen uh by the time we have our <laughs> our scene together this is last summer um uh, i'd seen the first season i'd seen episodes of the first season actually let me rewind a little bit the first day i got to set um because i'm not in the first three episodes of the first season they'd been well underway uh before i joined them and the first day i got to set i did my costume test i did a makeup test and then uh they said oh um Ruth is filming something right now if you want to visit set and, and see what they're working on. And I, I walked, I, I sort of quietly snuck onto set and it was the scene in the first season where um, she kills the Egyptians who storm her apartment and she just goes full monkey and wails on Homeboy. <laughs> um, and I just would be like, holy shit. One stroke of genius to like the ways in which she found to mirror her demon. Uh, it's not a, just a one-way street where the demon is your spirit, your, you know, your, your soul, but, the, um, but that she also found sort of monkeyish traits in, in her portrayal. Um, so I, you know, I literally walk on set and I see Ruth Wilson like, <laughs> and i went yikes she's amazing and she's terrifying so um i was fully aware of what a gift the scene was uh just as an actor um and it was about eight pages and i knew we were gonna film we had one day to film it the whole thing and um the weekend before my wife planned this amazing like we're going to the west of wales and exploring with the kids that's sort of one of the one of the great joys of working on the show was really falling in love with wales and every weekend we if i didn't have a six-day week we'd go exploring and we'd go up to the brecon beacons or we'd go to hay on y and this weekend we decided to drive all the way to the west coast uh to saint david's and we found some henges and we went on some hills where there were just wild horses like whatever for a kid from washington heights new york that is so insane to me um and 
But the whole time I'm like, I have eight pages to memorize. I have eight pages to memorize. So, you know, it was this wonderful family weekend. And every time we're in the car, I'm just running my lines, you know, just making sure, I, you know, you don't want to be unprepared uh, up against uh, Ruth Wilson, full stop. Um, and so I, I spent the weekend having an amazing kind of Welsh uh, holiday. And then on Sunday night, as we get home, kids are asleep in the back of the car, uh, in my email is here are the revisions. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, no. And thank God they, they weren't like wholesale revisions. They were just sort of tightening and, and, um, clear clarifying story things. Um, but it was, it was also like, you know, your homework changed, oh, <laughs> your homework changed on Sunday night and schools tomorrow, and the test uh. is tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I have to get, I mean, full credit to Leanne who directed the episode and, and, and Ruth, because Leanne was like, we got a lot to do. It's really intense. We are in no rush. We're going to take our time and we're going to get through it. And so, you know, we spent all day doing that scene, um, which is an intense place to be all day. Um, but it was enormous, uh, fun after the fact, um, you know, Ruth is, is delightful. Um, we texted each other after the episode. I, I texted her after the episode aired. I had this picture of us grinning, but my face is like covered in blood and beat up. <laughs> and we're both just like, uh, and I just wrote like, we, we fooled them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she wrote me back like, yeah, they liked it over here too. Cause she's, she's, she's on, on your side of the Atlantic. Um, and so, um, I'm re I, I was so pleased with the fan reception because so much, love and care went into getting that right. And and the way in which Lee and Miss Coulter are weirdly kindred spirits, um, even though they could not have more different relationships with their demons uh, as a result of the abuse they suffered as kids. Um, you know, it's, I think it's brought Hester and Lee closer together. Like they're, it's like us against the world. Um, and I think with, and you'd have to ask Ruth about this, but it's much more, um, it's a much more strange relationship between Miss Coulter and her demon. Um, and and so, you know, when the little monkey holds her hand, it's like, oh, oh <laughs> um, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and and it's and it's a really surprising turn because Miss Coulter dominates every room she's in, and Lee is the only one who is able to say, I I know this thing you know. And what we share is like we won't be stopped when it comes to something we love. And and we love the same thing. We love the same person. We're 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 at odds in every way, but we are we actually share this one thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think when we saw teasers that there was gonna be a Mrs. Coulter and Lee scene, we were like, Wow, first of all, I can't believe this is gonna happen. Second of all, okay, I kind of I can kind of like imagine how this might go. But then it just didn't go in that way at all. Like it kind of ended with like a tiny bit of an alliance between Lee and Mrs. Coulter. And I was like, that's definitely not where I expected that to go at all. Yeah. And I have to say, I remember reading the books, because again, I think Faithful Plus, like reading the books and seeing Miss Coulter's turn to her protectiveness of Lyra when she's just been monster of the year in the first book is sort of like, you know, we go like, I don't trust it. Do I trust it? Do I <laughs> like, I remember being like, am I allowed to empathize and trust this woman as you see her then continue to kind of prove her devotion in her very Coulterian way, of course. Um, but um, I, I, I just thought the, the Miss Coulter Lee scene was a brilliant way of 
um, it's almost a catalyst for that change. You know, it it, it sort of um, allows the the viewer in uh, into to, to sort of her her inner world in a very real way. And then also like the fun of an interrogation scene where like she hits me, the demon hits my demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also just like the fun technical stuff of that of like having to act being hurt psychically when two puppeteers are going at each other. <laughs> when we spoke to Russell Dodgson like a couple of months ago, he mentioned working with Ruth on Mrs. Coulter's backstory that didn't exist in the books. And with Lee and the backstory that we get with him in that episode, were you involved in that process of, of knowing what was going to happen or were you just kind of handed the script it was a total gift. It was a total gift from Jack Thorne and his team and his and his writing team on on the second season, because uh, he had a writer's room uh, for the second season. Um, and I was I was just I was just sort of thrilled. I, I, it was very aha. Like it's because it also it also makes all the sense in the world, right? Like all Lee alludes to is like, you know, she's been dealt a bad pack of cards in the parents' department, and. It's too late for me, but I can help her, and and so that that impulse I, I I very much understand. I think I think everyone who's a parent you you want to do better than your parents did, and you often overcorrect and make your own mistakes uh, with with your children. Um, but I think that uh, that that impulse is really um, is incredibly relatable as as a father. You know, this kid didn't get dealt the best hand, but I can I can help, and and I can give them a better life than I had. So we've kind of covered some of the like emotional backstory of getting into the character of Lee, but I would love to hear about the moment when you got to first try on that costume. Uh, we had a few questions. <laughs> I love that we get to see like some really great full shots of it. Like we had a conversation with Caroline McCall, the costume designer, about how hard it is to oh, sew Oh, I haven't leather. heard that episode. I would love to hear that. I love Caroline. She talks about how hard it was to sew all your leather. Uh, yeah, she did. <laughs> And that it's quite heavy and we'd love to kind of hear about how was that? Did it really help you to like embody Lee when you put on a ridiculous amount of leather or? <laughs> I, I watched The Mandalorian and I relate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to Homeboy, <laughs> say that. Because yeah, it's about 35 pounds of leather. Um, and I, I have to say it was, again, full credit to Caroline. She showed me her idea and I said, well, that does all the work. Like there's Lee. Um, she sort of, you know, and when I say it, you're not going to be able to unsee it. So I'm sorry in advance, but it's sort of like, it's Indiana Jones and it's Star-Lord. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it is, it's both yeah, the things. Um, and, and sort of in that world and sort of a steampunkier, you know, that was sort of the, the, the thing was like, this is not our London. This is sort of a, uh, an alternate dimension uh, earth and and it was kind of a more steampunky look at this um, world so it was not going to be like sort of texas holsters but it's it evokes it and um you know i <laughs> the conversations we had a lot were uh in the in, in the beginning where i had this incredible pair of leather pants but i could not lift my leg above my knee because they were so not broken in. Um, and the first thing I filmed was the fight scene in the bar. Um, it was sort of like, welcome to set and here's like fight training and here's your stunt man and let's like break some bottles over each other's <laughs> heads. So I kind of went back to Caroline after the first day and was like, I can't climb the bar in these. Um, they're 
very, I mean, starchy. They're not starchy, but they were just very hard to maneuver in. And so we had to, you know, we, we, we did a lot of work to kind of find the sweet spot in between the look of it and, and the ability to do what Lee is required to do, which is a lot of action sequences. I wanted to ask, you've played a couple of characters now which have a theme of death. So Hamilton dies, as does Lee. Well, we all die, Faye. It's just a matter of whether it happens <laughs> oh, in the story or not. We do. <laughs> Sorry, that was very morbid, but I think it's probably going to help you with the answer to whatever your question is. <laughs> they have a habit of dying on stage or on screen, we'll say that. Yes. <laughs> or on page. <laughs> I suppose when you went into Hamilton, you knew that Hamilton would die in the uh, production of Hamilton, and you knew that Lee would die in his dark materials because you already had that source material. Does that change how you approach a character knowing that you're going to play the arc from their adulthood to their death? That's a fantastic question. Um, And I think I have to answer it in two parts because there's the writing of it and then there's the playing of it. Um, With Hamilton, I was keenly aware that really the only thing most people know about Hamilton was that he was shot in a duel. Um, That's all I knew about Hamilton when I picked up the the biography. Um, And so... I knew I needed to say that at the beginning of the show. I needed to have Aaron Burr say, I'm the damn fool that shot him. Um, and yet, um, I also needed it to feel, in in a really great tragedy, in the great tragedies that I have experienced as a viewer, um, you still hold out hope that tonight it will turn out different. You know, you still gasp. When Juliet sits up after Romeo bites it, um, and or uh, to take a more recent example in Hades Town, uh, as they're making their way out and doubt creeps in, you're like, "Don't turn around, motherfucker! Don't turn around!" <laughs> yeah. And 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 Anais Mitchell writes it so beautifully, and we tell the story anyway in the hopes that this time it will be different. And so, um, the fun in writing Hamilton was. Um, Hamilton's really writing Hamilton as recklessly as possible um, because that's how we meet him is sort of this reckless, feral, I'll do anything to get out of where I'm at. Uh, And he meets the most cautious person in the world. And in the moment when Burr is reckless and Hamilton is cautious, the tragedy happens. Um, And so that became what I fit. And again, this is over many years of writing this, figuring out that's the arc that needs uh, to happen and fine tuning the writing even so that we get that Juliet gasp. Um, So that even in the final monologue, one of the last revisions we did um, in the final monologue, Hamilton is already talking about how he's going to throw away his shot and shoot into the air. And one of the last things we changed was um, that being more of a question. So that the moment really is a moment. It's not, here's, I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw my shot up in the air. It's like, what's he going to do? He's he's counting the score sheet of the people waiting for him on the other side. He's counting the score sheet here on earth. Which way is his arm going to go? And I think that helps us uh, with the tragedy. Um, and, and, and it also gives you something new to, as an actor, it gives you something new to play every night. Some nights it was much harder to say goodbye to Eliza than others. Some nights, you know, I would see my son up there and I was like, I'm going that way. Um, Again, you play in degrees when you're doing it eight times a week because you're finding different things every night when you're doing the same text over and over and over. Um, With Lee, um, the, the, you know, 
of course, I, I knew what happened to Lee. Uh, and I knew that um, that was going to be, if we did it right, um, heartbreaking. Um, it was heartbreaking in the books. And, and that's our goal uh, on the show. And so, you know, I think the fun for us was in how good Lee is at his job. Like Lee scores to be verse an army um, and, and holding out to the very last second. And, um, and so, you know, and playing that as if I'm going to walk out of there. Um, even, you know, to those, to those final moments, I, I think that's, that's what helps us with the tragedy of it, of like, um, you know, I might not make it out of here live, but I'm going to do everything I can to keep going and make sure um, that this threat to Lyra is is effectively neutralized. They do really take it up to that wire as well with calling Serafina on the flower, like or on the. I know. Like, Why did you think of that on the balloon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> cloud pine. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really fascinated with how they did the cloud pine this season of like it pulling from the skin. I don't. I don't. Is that a detail in the books that I missed or is that sort of something they conjured for the show? It's very much for the show and it's still something I'm not used to yet is seeing the witches fly around like Superman or like a Dementor. I still have in my, when I read the books, it's always going to be on like branches torn from trees, but I'm really enjoying it. And I do think the Coulter shoulder scene. Yeah, Ruta Scotty's first badass run in the season premiere of season two was one of my favorite things of just like handling business and getting out, uh, you know. And Jade is, is wonderful. One of the first scenes I shot was the witches' council and uh, and watching them go toe-to-toe uh, with each other was, was incredibly fun. I was just like, I get to stand here and watch two amazing actresses go to work. <laughs> I always thought that with the cloud pine, I really like the addition of it being in the skin. When we were talking about it on the episode, Rich, I was saying that Maybe they did it to get around because, like in the book, Coulter's like breaking fingers, she's breaking legs. Maybe they did it to get around the goriness of it. And obviously, I don't know what time it airs in the US, but it airs at like eight PM on like BBC One here, so it would probably be a bit much to have Mrs. Coulter like breaking fingers. Do you know there's a weird BBC rule that I learned about during Lee's final scene, which is that they, I, I filmed Lee's death scene and I closed my eyes and then they said we have to film another one again with your eyes open because they the BBC has a rule to like showing a death on TV like like they kind of have like a weird like thing about that so I had to film it with my eyes open and with my eyes closed I can't remember which is the one BBC doesn't allow (laughs) but it was like this is a BBC like rating thing and so i had to film it both ways and and we have our own versions of that in the state i just finished wrapping tick tick boom and right now there's a very strict policies about smoking even though i was filming a period piece and a lot more people smoked in 1990 than than now and so every time i filmed a character smoking i'd have to film an alt without them smoking because it might affect the rating of the movie down the line and i but i never heard that with eyes closed open versus eyes closed on a death interesting and I don't want to spoil it for you because you haven't seen it. <laughs> you don't know which one they yeah. picked. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I don't know. But it, you know, obviously, that doesn't matter on HBO. Um, but, but I think it was it was actually a thing on how it could air on BBC. That's so interesting. I wanted to ask you about Daphne. Like you said, you listened to our episode with her, and she spoke very, very highly of you. And especially in in season one, because obviously we don't see you together in season two. We really loved 
I suppose the humor that it brought to the first season, like you and Daphne and like the rapport that you have together. And yeah, I suppose I just wanted to ask about that relationship between the two of you and how that was on sex. It seemed like you guys got on really well. Yeah, Daphne's fantastic. And and I really got along very well with her whole family. Her her mom is amazing. I hope, you know, her dad is very prominently featured on the show. He's in the Magisterium. Um, but but her mom is also a tremendous actress. So, you know, I hope she shows up in season three. <laughs> um, I don't know what's what. I hope she's a good guy. You know, I, <laughs> But um, it was it was really it was really fun getting to know her. I think one of the things we love about Lyra as a character is that she is she's not a cardboard cutout of a saint. She's like a kid. Like she's an incredible liar, and she's incredible on her feet, and incredibly imaginative, and it's sort of all the things that. Um, are the best of us in childhood that we lose as we grow up. Um, you know, Lyra is able to hang on to that, that incredible imagination and it gets her out of scrapes. And and I think that um, that sort of shows up the most when she meets Lee. Uh, she really kind of hoodwinks him into, <laughs> you know, into to coming along on this journey um, and sort of tricks him in. Um, but also, um, you know, she was the vet on the show. She'd already done three episodes by the time I showed up. So she kind of showed me the ropes. Um, and the fact that we could speak Spanish together was another thing that we, we, we bonded over. Um, I could hear, you know, Maria, um, is, is her acting coach. And so sometimes I would see the director give Daphne a note, and then Maria would come over and be like, "Mira, lo que tienes que hacer, lo que ella está diciendo es que tú tienes que hacer esto así. Está muy asustado, está muy asustado en el momento. So no, no, no te olvides de eso." And she's just kind of like, and I'm like, "Okay, that's more than the director said, but I, but like, it's like, it was like <laughs> I got to see sort of the whole picture by virtue of being bilingual." Um, and then like, you know, it was just sort of another little twin speak we had on set. Like we sang show tunes and we spoke in Spanish and. Um, and I, I'd lived in Madrid for a little bit when my, my wife was in law school, so I know uh, the city she's from. So we just had a lot in common, and and she's just in, you know, what you see on the show is what you get. She's incredibly smart. She's incredibly independent, um, and and uh, and it was really, it was just so much fun uh, uh, working with her. She's very, just from the interview that we did with her, she's so clever and she's very wise beyond her years like some of the answers that she gave us i was like i wouldn't have thought of that in a million years <laughs> yeah and listen i you know I've, I've worked with child actors before i had an amazing time on mary poppins returns those were much younger kids so it's just a different kind of conversation you're having you're trying to keep it all play so that they can be natural and and, and in the moment and you kind of and but but daphne's like a grown-up actor <laughs> like you we, we talked we talked to her like you talk to any other actor and and she's really um pr prodigious in, in in the best way in terms of um the way she approaches her work one of the other people we get to see you spend a lot of time with is andrew scott with the amazing scoresby joppery relationship going on and i'd love to yeah, hear about... a little road our little road movie together <laughs> yes i'd love to hear about that road trip all of the fun times in the balloon and one of one of our great questions from one of our listeners was just like, how does Lee really feel about bacon sandwiches? <laughs> I think he's pro. I think he's very on the pro side of bacon sandwiches. Um, and yeah, that scene is so great because you realize uh, Lee um, Lee's totally been summoned. He's he's been summoned by 
by by Andrew Scott, and it was really fun. I um I worked for about a week before Andrew joined me in the balloon, um, and I had the good fortune to see he was doing a Noel Coward play in the West End. So I actually on my weekend off like drove to London, went and saw him in his last like weekend of the show and got to meet him like just as like a person. Um, and, and that was enormous, uh, fun. And it, it happened to be on the night Ben Wishaw was going and I knew Ben from Mary Poppins. So it was sort of this like lovely, like, I know five people in London and three of them were at the show that night. <laughs> um, it was really kind of a, a, a beautiful night. And, um, and then, you know, he joined me on set and he's got his, ponytail and he's got his like hand tattoos and um and the fun of working on a show like his dark materials is that we're we're mostly on location i mean we're either in the balloon or on location so like there's no sometimes you work on a show and it's like they say cut and everyone goes to their trailers until it's time for the next scene like we were just kind of like together all the time and we were in these far-flung locations where it would have taken us a half hour to get back to a base camp. Like we're really in the woods and we're really up on mountains. So I have these pictures of us like in these little side trailers, like sitting together for, for our lunch break. It's funny actually. Andrew texted me this morning and uh, he found these videos where we were in these like little Jeeps to get us to set. They're kind of like the Jurassic Park Jeeps. <laughs> and so we did these videos of us pretending to be in Jurassic Park and seeing the dinosaurs for the first time. Again, like silly, silly little kid stuff, but it's but it's just like, you know, the ways you bond in which you're both in a Jurassic Park van in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we became very good friends because we were just, it was just kind of us either in a hot air balloon or in the middle of the Brecon Beacons. We heard in, I think it must've been a Comic-Con interview panel about Andrew sharing with you the glorious gummy snack that is Percy Pigs. Yes. And we all ate Percy Pigs while watching their first episode that you were in together. So it was great. Yeah, they're kind of like Haribo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> was there anything else you picked up, especially like interesting Welsh foods in your time in Wales or any other like British snacks and things that you just wish that you could take home with you? Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, again, we lived in Cardiff um, and um, we had the good fortune of living near some amazing uh restaurants and and places to eat and so we would um you know sometimes uh put the kids to bed my parents were with us for a time my wife's with parents were with us for a time and then we'd go out uh to eat this is one of my favorite stories we went to a really wonderful restaurant in uh in cardiff and i ordered this i think it was like a game hen or some kind of bird that is local to whales and um as i'm eating i feel something crunchy and i pull out and it's a piece of buckshot from the gun that shot this bird and i say to the waiter uh excuse me there's a piece of buckshot and he without missing a beat goes oh that's very good luck congratulations <laughs> and i went i went from like <laughs> about to like waiter there's a fly in my soup to like oh that's good luck for me okay i guess that's the tradition I'll keep, that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep i'll keep this little piece of buckshot in my pocket um and um, but but yeah, you know the Percy. One of the fun things about working in the in the UK, whether it was in uh, London for Mary Poppins or or Wales for for two summers now, um, is is picking up on sort of the fun uh, traditions. The way Cardiff shuts down 
when there's a football game, it's like really built around the stadium. And if there was a football game, it was like, all right, we're not going anywhere today. <laughs> the streets are out. Um, there will be traffic uh, everywhere. We lived pretty close to the stadium. And then one night there was like this massive ABBA tribute concert and we could hear it from our house. Um, and that was also kind of cool too. Um, but yeah, Percy Pigs were great. Um, wider variety of, of chips. And I don't mean French fries. I mean uh, crisps. like crisps, crisps. Yes. Um, like you guys have a Peking duck Pringles that we don't have that <laughs> in the States. And I got well addicted to it. Um, and so I came back with sort of three tins of, of Pringles, Peking duck crisps. Those were really good. Um, yeah. And just of what you're really imaginative on the crisps tip. Like there were, there were crisps that were like full Thanksgiving dinner flavored crisps <laughs> where it's like, this is going to taste like turkey and cranberry. And it's like, that's a lot to put on a crisp, but you guys manage it. Some might say too much, but <laughs> not me. <laughs> You know, it's really, it's really fun. The first time I went to Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival in 2005, I fell in love with ketchup flavored chips. We didn't even have that. Like we have like salt and vinegar and like barbecue. That's about it. You guys really are on the forefront of crisp technology and I salute you. I mean, there are so many. And when you said like all the flavors that they put into them, most of the time they don't taste like that. They just taste like crisps. <laughs> it's like... No, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit when like you get like a wine snob and they're like, I taste oak and lingonberry and detect, you know, maple notes. And you're like, it tastes like red wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that one of our listeners said, which is if you could play any other character within the Histoire Materials world, who would you play? Ooh, that's a great question. Um... Human or demon, you can pick. <laughs> Honestly, like running around as the monkey demon for Miss Coulter would be a masterclass. Like I kind of can't think of, uh, you know, that's a pretty badass role. I'd love to be that golden monkey. I think that's my answer. <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Run around with Ruth Wilson all day, just terrorizing people. Great. <laughs> Did you have any music or anything that you kind of listen to to get yourself into that Scoresby space and if not what like three main songs would you stick on a Lee Scoresby playlist like what are the top three I I have one that I would listen to and I can tell you exactly what they were hold on a second I I listen to uh, a lot of Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash like I would like listen to old country um again I wasn't trying to do that accent my accent is really more modeled on my own relatives in Texas there's a there's a Johnny Cash song called Dirty Old Egg Sucking Dog. It's it's five songs. It's uh, Dirty Old Egg Sucking Dog, Johnny Cash. Uh, the Devil Went Down to Georgia, Charlie Daniels Band. Um, Elvis Presley. And then uh, Superman song, which is not country at all, but the lead singer of uh, Crash Test Dummies has like a voice that is two octaves lower than mine. So I found if I like listened to I was really like... I just, you know, my voice naturally kind of goes pretty high and I didn't want Lee to have a high voice. Uh, so um, I would listen to baritones who sing down here. Devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for soul to steal. Um, and and just in falling short of that, I would find my own sort of Lee place. And then uh, Lonely Room from Oklahoma uh, from the original. Uh, that was my one musical theater edition, <laughs> um, which is Judd's very kind of sad uh lonely a uh, song in there so those were the the songs i would listen to to kind of get me into the voice space and and the head space of just like um 
these like really low baritones who are total characters. That was that's kind of the running theme through those five tunes. A lot of people have asked this, and I think we can kind of guess the answer. But you mentioned Once Upon a Time in the North. If Jane Tranter, everybody decided they wanted to do it, would you be back? Would you be Lee again and do it? Yeah, I, I, I serve at the pleasure of Jane Tranter. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've had a great relationship uh, working with her in Bad Wolf. And, uh, you know, if, if Jack and the team is in, I'm in my, my only sort of concern. And I said this to them is sort of, if, you know, we, we do kind of cover some of that ground in episode four of season one. Um, so what, what does that look like? Uh, you know, how does that become its own, uh, adventure? But yeah, I have, a, I have a great time playing Lee. I've, I, I sort of, I, I've told this story before, but I remember when I was wrapping up this last season, uh, one of the guys on the crew said, "Like, are you looking forward to a good holiday? Like after this, you just died in a gulch. <laughs> it's been pretty intense work." And I was like, "No, this is my holiday. <laughs> the rest of my life, I'm writing and I have a million responsibilities. But like, for two months a year, I get to be a cowboy in a hot air balloon <laughs> um, in one of my favorite stories. Uh, this what this is the holiday." It, you know, working on the show really is the holiday um, in my life. Um, and so it's a great joy and a great pleasure. And so um, if if there was an appetite for it, I, of course, would would love to do it and find the space for it. It's, it's you know, fantasy camp for me. One of my questions, which I'm very keen to ask is, I know that you're a big fan of the books. And that for me, when I, having the books like as a constant thing in my head means that sometimes when you meet someone new you just know exactly who their demon is or what their demon is and I wonder if as a fan of the books when you were writing Hamilton or thinking back on it now whether any of the main characters or cast from Hamilton have a demon that like really stands out to you and you know exactly what that is Hamilton that's interesting you know no one's ever asked me that that's you have found a new twist on the demon question (laughs) and I because every everyone asks, like, what would your demon be? It's interesting because I actually put a ref. There's a. I think I've mentioned this. There's a reference or an homage to his dark materials in my first show, In the Heights. Uh, the song "When the Sun Goes Down" is very much modeled after um, the events of Book Three, without spoiling, I guess. Um, but there's a song that's very much modeled on Will and Lyra. Um, and sort of them at the end of book three is very close to what I have Nina and Benny, uh, kind of singing in that song. Uh, I don't think, I think I said that without really spoiling anything. You're fine. Um, yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was very, I was very inspired, uh, by it. I thought it was incredibly beautiful and, and, um, touching. Um, but, uh, Hamilton demons, um, I've been stalling Hamilton. demons. <laughs> well, listen, I think, <laughs> Something reptilian with Burr, because there's just no giving away the internal world, right? He's got a bit of the boreal. I don't think it's a snake, but I, you know, because I don't, I don't think Burr is. Um, I truly don't think Burr is villainous, but I think it's something that it's that's very hard to read um, emotionally because he he keeps his emotions very close to the vest. I think Hamilton is something close to a monkey, a uh, some kind of simian, something very expressive because it's just like ah, uh, maybe it's even a parrot. <laughs> so it's like I'm done talking, you know. My demon would like to talk for a little while. <laughs> Um, so yeah, maybe it's like a macaw or something for Hamilton. Um, and then let's see who else. Um, you know, I think, 
Eliza has some sort of pan because Eliza in, in our conception of her is so good um, and, and incredibly patient uh, and, uh, but also very strong. Um, and, you know, you know, she lives another 50 years. Um, and then Angelica is like whatever the smartest animal is. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's, uh, I was reading an article about octopi about the octopus and about how they're sort of the closest thing we have on earth to a second intelligence because they're highly intelligent but they're so not mammalian we split off from them about 80 million years ago that like it is our closest to what a brain on another planet would be like um and so yeah i mean an octopus would keep her pretty landlocked like close to the sea <laughs> but like it's it's some kind of you know highly intelligent animal because I, I i i maintain angelica is the smartest character uh, in the show on the demon question what we usually do in our book episodes is we would say what our demons if our demons could still change if we were not adults and we were children what would our demon have been that week like how we were feeling that week what would our demon have been that week so instead of asking you what is your demon what would your demon have been this particular week or even this year, because God knows this year has been weird. <laughs> oh, oh, year, um, yeah. I think I think a lot of this year, my demon has just been like a wallflower, or um, you know, a some kind of um, highly terrified something. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what, what are easily scared animal. Like I'm visioning like a bush year. baby with his massive eyes. Like oh god. <laughs> yeah, or just like. Um, you know, like I, 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 I'm picturing like when cat's hair goes up, like it's sort of that all the time. <laughs> Just would like open the newspaper and be like, ah! um, so yeah, I think, I think my, my demon this year is probably some kind of very terrified cat. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> Our family had an easily terrified cat growing up. So I can, I can picture that very easily. Like they'll slide it down and shoom, you just see a shape zoom across <laughs> the, the room. <laughs> Uh, new favorite question now that we have finally started the subtle knife because we've been reading through a chapter at a time it's taken me so long to be able to ask this question in interviews is if you had the subtle knife what kind of world would you want to cut through to oh that's a great question um i would want to cut through to a world where it's kind of always 70 degrees everyone's got enough to eat <laughs> That's kind of all we need, right? Is just like a reasonable temperature and like the knowledge that we are safe and sustained, um, and and you know where there's just kind of always enough. Uh, that's that's all I wish for. Uh, you know, I'm I'm generally dodgy around knives in general. I don't trust myself with one that can cut through. You know really anything anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> like anything. much more than a butter knife don't hand it to me uh but yeah that's that's what i would get through to i would i would live there i'd go with you yeah you it would be nice <laughs> it's a bit of a desert island discs right like yeah, yeah. you know what are the seven albums and uh you know that's but yeah just like a nice climate and and enough for everybody and then yeah. i would just say come with me guys we're getting out of this trash fire <laughs> universe we're going <laughs> so... to the next one that's not messing up <laughs> So we'll wrap it up there, Lynn. Thank you so, so much. It means the world to us. We honestly, in our old episodes, we used to joke, can you imagine if Lynn Manuel was listening to this? Or can you imagine if Lynn came on the podcast? And now here we are. <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah, it was so nice to talk to you guys. Where, where do you guys live? Are you in London or are you in Wales? London. 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 
birth in London, yeah. So yeah, it's really, really cold today, which is... <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing that you're in the UK mostly in the summer because... Even then. <laughs> Even then. It's not great, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's beautiful, but it's the, the thing I learned about Wales weather is it just don't sit... Someone, a comedian did a very funny routine about like, don't ever pick the outdoor seating. It could be a clear blue day and you get your burger and five minutes later, it's raining on your burger. Like it's just the clouds move fast. I wish you luck through the, um, <laughs> the winter. Um, it was great talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Oh my God, that was so good. Oh, oh my God. It was so good. I just don't know what to say, Red. I am on cloud nine. This is a thing that has now happened in our life. This is canon in our life that we have interviewed Lynn Manuel Miranda. I'm just so happy, and I'm so happy that he has played R. Lee Scoresby. We all knew it had to end someday, but being able to talk to him about that experience and that process has been incredible. And I have, I have no words. I'm gonna go and just like stop computing over in another room somewhere and sit in the dark for a bit till I calm the fuck down. <laughs> uh, well, I think one of my favorite bits was when we were worried about spoiling him because we've seen the whole thing and he hasn't. And he was like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, I haven't seen it yet. And I was like, policing myself for spoilers to the person that played Lee Scoresby. It, oh, it's so sweet that he's watching it week by week with his wife. Uh, how how to be human again after this experience? I, I, I don't know. We're going to go sit in a dark room and think about what we've done. And <laughs> so should you. <laughs> Thanks again to Lin-Manuel. Thanks to his team. Thanks to everyone that help, helped us make this happen. Thank you to you, Rich, for being my little Thank podcast you partner. Thank you, Faye. What a team. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking to my new friend, Lynn manuel Miranda, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about one of my favourite books with one of my favourite humans, I am making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachmakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings, and an even bigger thank you to Lin-Manuel for his time. And don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. Bye. Oh, gotta go. Gotta go have a nap. <laughs> I need to lie down. <laughs>